Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a galactic football league novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies! Uh, got some news for you. GFL 7, second draft. Not the first, not the rough. The second draft, we are 85.6% done with the book. Now, that is based on an estimated girthiness of 125,000 words. It could very well wind up being more than that, probably not less than that, just the way things go in the Sigliverse. Right now, we are at 107,000 words plus, a little bit over 107,000 words. That means we're, you know, about 85.6% done with the whole book. A and I are going away for the weekend. We're pretty pumped. But I think next week, Thanksgiving week, will be a power week for the words. I'll be so powerful doing so many powerful power things that I might write a book, another book on how you too can have all the power. And I will charge $29.95 for that eight cassette motivational speaking set. Anyways, what I'm saying is there's going to be a lot of words written. Uh, we are still on track to begin the crypt book one in December of 2021. Fairly confident. I will have GFL book seven second draft off to big John Viscara for a continuity edit before the end of December. And then I will be working on the crypt. Now, a lot of people have been asking me about the GFL galaxy map. This 36 inch wide by 24 inch high poster that many people have in their hands right now. Some are getting it framed, but that's just what I've heard people say. Many people are saying it, so I don't know. We'll see how it goes. This map will also be huge for the crypt, which right now is planned for at least three books that series, probably more like five books for that series. So you might want this thing handy when you're reading that book. Right now, there is only one way to get the Sigliverse Galaxy map. You cannot buy it alone. It's free for those who buy the hardcover of The Gangster, GFL Book 6. So if you want a map, you got to go to scottsigler.com slash the gangster and buy your book. Now, I just looked up a Star Wars Galaxy map on Amazon, 20 bones, 20 bones. The Gangster hardcover, $32.95. So think about this. Think about this. You get a hardcover limited edition collector's item book and a free map worth a value of $20. I must be insane to offer these prices. Insane! Okay, enough with my mental health. Let's get you caught up on the Stone Wolves, then we're all going to go inject a quith leader with some gibble juants. Previously on The Stone Wolves. 
While the crew of the Ulrin dodged death yet again, their new guest finds herself in a different kind of trouble as accusations of sexism and speciesism fly. Aya loved her quarters. She loved the rumpus room even more. She'd spent so many years in the sterile, overly clean environments of league bases and ships. A place for everything, everything in its place, be that thing a computer, a tool, a trash can, or a sentient being. If anything came out of place, a terrible punishment would befall the perpetrator of such a horrid sin. And then there'd been her years on the run, living in squalor, because league field agents didn't like squalor and they were less likely to look in such places. Sometimes, Aya had money and had been able to spend it for fear of being seen. Most times, though, she'd had no money at all and had survived any way she could. Eating bugs had been a real bright spot of those times. The rumpus room was a lovely, happy medium between absolute squalor and rigidly oppressive league cleanliness. The rumpus room felt right. It felt like home. The furniture here was just as mismatched and motley as the rest of the ship. While each piece had built-in twist locks that secured it to the deck, Skipper had also used old-fashioned angle brackets and bolts to further lock them in place. Aya had already been involved in five flights where the Ulrin's maneuvers exceeded internal anti-grav tolerances and she'd been part of the crew for only six weeks. Couches and recliners surrounded a metal coffee table, its mostly orange paint chipped and scratched. Skipper's threadbare plaid recliner could probably be carbon dated back to the 22nd century. The holotank was big, great for sports and movies, but also old. Skipper had taken it in payment for a job many years back when a client couldn't pay the full tab. Aya sat down in a tattered leather chair that she'd claimed as her own. Duct tape covered the left arm. Lately, she'd taken to absently drawing scribbles and random cartoony characters on it. Zan's walking schmeck stood behind the couch. In the rumpus room, Zan's bot never sat, even though there were beat-up chairs aplenty. Like Aya, Zan was waiting for Beans, Skipper, and Skipper's annoying guest. Agreement? From Zan? Following actual praise from her for the Uzo men information? What was the galaxy coming to? She's bad news, Aya said. Nader, I can feel it. Zan rotated slightly. The elephant's googly eyes seemed to stare straight at Aya. Nader. Another one of your non-standard words, Aya? What does this mean? Aya sighed. Old sentience were so daft. Nader is the opposite of apex, Aya said. Obviously. A highly illogical assertion, with almost no observed data to back it up. Zan's gangly schmeck handpicked a bit of fluff off the couch. She dropped it into a small trash can. And yet, I completely agree with you. Here they come. Aya slunk deeper into her chair. Skipper and Fanaka entered. He directed her to a couch while he walked to his recliner. 
Skipper didn't sit in it as much as he spilled into it. Fanaka took a big sniff. Smells like an old shower in here. She was right, but olfactory fatigue had mostly tuned that out for Aya. Leaky pipe somewhere, Killian said. It's on the to-do list. It had been on the to-do list when Aya had first come aboard six weeks ago. As far as she knew, no one actually assigned these to-dos to anyone. Aya watched Skipper. His habits were becoming familiar. His hand fell to the side of the chair, effortless, powered by muscle memory, a ritual of sorts seeking a certain kind of medicine. He opened the top of a hinged cooler placed next to his chair. Without looking, he fished out a bottle of Miller Lager, twisted off the cap, dropped the cap into the cooler, closed the lid with a practiced wrist flip, then knocked back the entire bottle before coming up for air. He belched. Classy, Fanaka said. My ship, Skipper said. Now, sit. Fanaka sat. Her strangely devoted watchbot hopped onto her thighs, thin metal legs carrying it in a tight circle like a dog looking for just the right place to take a crap, then settled into her lap. The four-legged metal ball gave a slight chirp, seemingly contented. Aya realized the bot was just as beat up as most of the furniture. The thing fit in well with the rumpus room decor. Aya leaned back, put her boots on the coffee table. You treat that thing like a pet, she said. Fanaka glanced at Zan. What's the matter, Aya? You don't like being around machines? You just got here, Zan said. Take your time and enjoy yourself a little before you try to divide us. Fanaka shrugged. So, shall we get started? Not yet, Killian said. We need beans. He glanced up at the ceiling and called out. Oleron, open shipwide comms. Beans, quit fussing with the punch drives and get your furry butt to the rumpus room. Already here, a voice called from directly behind Fanaka. In the time it took Aya to turn her head toward the noise, Fanaka had sprung from the couch, whirled around, shoved her jacket aside, pulled a revolver from her right hip holster, and pointed the barrel at where Beans would have been were he a human. No one was there. I won, Fanaka, Killian said. Stow the hardware. Don't blow a hole in my ship. She lowered the weapons. Down here, l -l 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 lady. Fanaka lowered the pistol, leaned forward to look over the back of the couch. There was Beans, out of his schmeck, and as naked as the day he'd hatched. A bedbug, Fanaka said. Is this a joke? The watchbot, now perched on Fanaka's shoulder, directed a synthesized growl at the floor. Beans is not a joke, Zan said. Please show respect to my crewmate. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, 
It's vital for Piura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Piura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. The first time I had seen Beans out of his schmeck, he'd startled her, too. Sklorno weren't all that common in league space. There were a few in the military, but zero males among that small segment, unless you counted cafeteria workers as being in the military, which Aya did not. In the media, male Sklorno were mostly portrayed as mindless drones. They had never been part of the cultures Aya had grown up in, in either her inner-city upbringing or in her time with the Fafnir Project. To interact with one on a daily basis— it definitely took some getting used to. Beans was medium-sized for a Sklorno male. He weighed about 30 kilos. Male Sklorno resembled Earth's isopods. Someone had once described them to Aya as a giant translucent pill bug covered in long, coarse black fur, and that description was spot-on for Beans. His two squat legs fit beneath his curving, fur-covered carapace, so they were hidden from view most of the time. Unlike female Sklorno, males had a second set of legs, very stubby, in the middle of their body. Like females, though, male Sklorno also had two long tentacles rooted in their chest and four eye stalks peeking out from the dense black clumps of hair on their small head. Beans stood upright on his back-folded legs. His four eye stalks peeked over the back of the couch. Two green eyes aimed at Fanaka, one at the watchbot, one at Skipper. His mouth plate opened. Two short spine-covered raspers dangled down. Hi, 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 he said. I would have you know that bedbug is a speciesist term, and also quite dismissive of my gender. Fanaka glanced over at Skipper, incredulous. Is this for real? Skipper reached for another beer. Is it real that you're a speciesist? Well, that's an obvious yes. Fanaka huffed. I am not speciesist. Sure you're not, Beans said. Aya 
had to stifle a laugh. The firearm, Zan said. Holster it now. Fanaka looked from Skipper to Zan, then back again, as if to say, who's in charge here? Skipper opened his beer. You heard the lady. Fanaka gave Beans another wary glance, then holstered her pistol. Aya marveled at the way she handled that weapon. So smooth, so practiced, like it was a part of her. Maybe Fanaka was a speciesist, but she also seemed like a total badass. It's just... Fanaka stared at Beans, searching for the right words. It's just that I've never seen a, a male Sklorno do anything more than... Anything more than custodial jobs, Beans said. Clean up for barkeeps, facility janitors, maids, that sort of service work. Oh, and b -b 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 bounce up and down, dying to every female squirrel that moves, right? Fanaka hesitated, as if she thought saying anything else would only make her sound worse. Then she gave in. Basically, yeah, she said. And to be honest, I've never seen one stand upright before. I thought that was considered obscene in Sklorno culture. In our repressive culture, it is, Bean said. We can only be like this under really, really, really specific social circumstances. We're just dippity dumb servants to the females. It's all we're taught. It's all we've known. It's the, the law. Sentience like you see us as sub, sub, subservient fuzzballs. Laughing stocks. Beans crawled over the back of the couch and plopped down on its middle cushion. Aya couldn't stop her giggle this time. If Fanaka wanted to sit on the couch, she'd have to sit right next to Beans. Instead, she found an open chair next to Aya. A lot of sentients would have been shamed into sitting next to Beans. Speciesist was a strong word, and people would go out of their way to show they weren't one. Fanaka didn't seem to give a damn. The watchbot curled up at Fanaka's feet, its spidery legs folded, its thin metal knees pointed to the ceiling. Fanaka leaned back in the chair. She seemed so relaxed, so confident. Aya found herself wishing she had a gram or two of that confidence. Skipper dropped the now-empty second bottle in the cooler and extracted a third. He turned his attention to the others. Time for some plain talk he said. The case job is done, but we're not getting paid for it. Not yet. Beans uttered a string of staccato syllables. Aya didn't understand much of the Sklorno prima tongue, save for a few dozen curse words. Beans had managed to use all the swear she knew in that one sentence. She shared his anger. I know I'm the newest one here, Aya said. How does that work, exactly? We burned fuel, got shot at, almost got killed. We delivered the case per the contract, and now we are not getting paid? Not yet, Fanaka said. You'll get paid when Killian does what I need him to do. Beans let out another string of curses. There were four new words in there I hadn't heard before. She made a mental note to ask him about those later. The contract was for one job, Zan said. Not two. 
Your bait and switch has nothing to do with us. Was it possible for a yellow stuffed elephant to look angry? Zans did. There are costs associated with this job. We need to cover those costs. Aya couldn't believe what she was hearing. Skipper had said that sometimes clients stiffed him on the tab and that it caused severe cash flow problems, but he was being so calm about the situation. Beans crawled to the top of the couch and perched there, eye stalks vibrating. Yeah, pay us. I can't believe this is the way anyone would do business. You'd better... Another job. Skipper glared at the woman. This is a new task. Accept that, or we'll drop you off at our next stop. Skipper and Fanaka stared at each other. Skipper was an out-of-shape schlub, but he was so damn big, and he had that voice. When Skipper put his foot down, Aya already knew how hard it was to go against him. Fanaka rolled her eyes. Your ship, your rules. Skipper took a deep breath as if he were trying to calm himself. If we take this new job, Fanaka has promised a 50% bonus. The yellow elephant let out a toy squeak. Aya hadn't known the thing had a squeaker, nor did she know how Zan's schmeck face had triggered it. Her promise already leaves much to be desired, Zan said. Skipper nodded. No argument there. But I believe her. If we get that bonus, it's the usual split. 20% of it for each of us, 20% for the ship. Aya shook her head. You're actually considering this? Are you kidding? Skipper stared at Aya. Aya froze. In the League, she'd been around very, very dangerous people. As nice as Skipper could be, there was an underlying current of violence flowing through him at all times. This new job, it's, it's, it's personal, he said. This isn't about the money for me. I want to get paid so all of you can get paid, but I am doing this regardless. The only question is, are you all doing it with me? Say we do not do it with you, Zan said. Where are you going to put us while you fly off with your former colleague? I hadn't heard that tone from Zan before. One of absolute disdain. Skipper twisted open his third beer, took a small sip. I don't put you anywhere, he said. There's four of us. If two of you vote against this, then I go alone and you all stay on the Oleron. If two of you vote to come with me, the Oleron goes. The nay voter can go planetside somewhere for a bit. You make it sound so easy, Zan said. Again, that tone. Aya desperately wanted to know more about Zan and the relationship between Zan and Skipper. Zan, the real physical Zan, hid away and hold too. She never left. How long did Aya need to be a part of the crew before she learned what that was all about? Change of procedure, Skipper said. Zan, you have a veto power, so to speak. If you vote no, I am not taking the Oleron. 
You command it while I'm gone. If I don't come back, it's yours. Aya felt a chill wash through the rumpus room. Skipper wasn't messing around. Everyone looked at Zan's schmeck, at the yellow elephant face. Everyone might as well have been looking at a bulkhead, because a bulkhead wall was no more Zan than the schmeck was. Tell us more, Zan said. No disgust in her voice now. Describe this mission. Skipper shrugged. It's high risk, no reward. We'd be going into Kretorakian space. We'd spring a convict from a secret imperial prison. Aya perked up. A prison? Do you mean the borehole? She'd done a radcast on how the Kretorakians and their collaborators violated sentient rights by taking certain anti-Empire individuals away in the dead of the night, never to be heard from again. Some of her freaks had responded with stories of a rumored secret prison deep in Kratorakian territory. The borehole isn't real, Bean said. Real as teal and true as blue, I said. No one knows where it is exactly, but I've heard from reliable sources that it exists. It's supposedly in one of those old asteroids, the quith mine for material for Orbital Station 1, before they learn how to put the asteroids themselves into punch space. Baines's fur fluffed up, then back down. But there's thousands of those mined-out asteroids in Kretorakian space. One of his green eyes swiveled toward Fanaka. You know which one? She reached into a pocket, extracted the data cube that Aya and the others had hauled halfway across the galaxy. I do now, Fanaka said. Stop with the drama, Zan said. Fanaka, give us details. Beans crawled down to the seat cushion and curled himself into a ball. He was now all black fur with four eye stalks sticking out. Yes, more info, he said. Tell us more about the prisoners. We'd be violating imperial law to break out. And info on you, Skipper, Aya said. On your history with Fanaka. We need to know what we're getting into. She didn't want to pry into the captain's life, just like she didn't want him asking questions about hers, but the request felt true, felt right. Before agreeing to go on a run with this tall, badass woman aboard, Aya, Zan, and Beans needed to understand a lot of things. Things that had, so far, gone unsaid. Skipper pondered this for a long moment. He turned to Fanaka. Go ahead. Tell them. She raised an eyebrow. Tell them how much, exactly. Skipper drained his bottle, reached for another. Everything, he said. Tell them everything. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella, written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler. 
engineered by Steve Rickyberg. Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.